I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Welcome to Sweet Delay Podcast. This is your host with the most, Mike Magnusunas. How's everybody doing today? I'm doing great. Feels good to be back at the mic again. Uh, it's been a couple of uh, weeks since I put out a new episode, and uh, since we are finally in October, I can start the Sweep Delay Podcast Horror Fest, and it is going to be some good times. Uh, basically, what's going to be coming to you uh, next couple of weeks, uh, actually this week, you're going to be getting two episodes. Today, I'm reviewing the 1978 John Carpenter's Halloween the classic, my all-time favorite horror movie. Then after that, I'm going to review the sequel, which that will be coming out a couple days later. And then I'm going to be reviewing H2O. It's basically going to be the Laurie Strode trilogy. Now, I'm definitely going to be talking about the rest of the Halloween films, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 8, along uh, with some more added info in regards to the Rob Zombie stuff. Because the past two weeks, I've spent a lot of time just re-watching the whole Halloween series, watching some horror movies with the wife. It's been good times, and uh, I am definitely going to get into all that. But the main focus is going to be the Laurie Strode trilogy, 1, 2, and H2O, which is technically part 7. And then, um, if I have time, I'll do the Jamie Lloyd uh, trilogy. Now, Halloween Resurrection, I don't consider that to be any part of the trilogy because it completely sucks. Um, each movie has their own problems, but this is primarily to deal with the Laurie Strode trilogy. But before we get into the good, fun stuff, let's go ahead and get into some movie and music news. Alright, so this week in movie and music news, you know what, actually, let's stop right there. Alright, you probably wonder what's up with the monster music, Mike, you've already played this song, it was your first music spotlight song. Well, you know what, this is a new segment, this is called Monster Masoonis, because you know what, I'm kind of annoyed right now. This is something that, uh, it's going to be a new introduction to Sweet Delay Podcast. It's whenever I get super annoyed or super pissed, I'm just going to throw this segment in there so I can get some things out and then move on with the rest of the podcast. So here's the deal. All right. So we're reaching episode 30. I'm pretty excited about that. That's actually what this is. This is episode 30. And uh, I'd say that's a lot of shows. Of course, it's not uh, 50 and it's not 100. So here's the thing. There's this perception going around about me that uh, I only dig 80s movies and that... uh, Anything after these is total crap. First off, let's call it what it is. It's BS, number one. Number two, this show is named after my favorite movie, The Karate Kid. Is the movie from the 80s? Sure, it's from the 80s. Now, let me give you guys a little insight here. When I started this show, I had two intentions. One, to talk about movies and to talk about music. And what my intention was is when I think of movies and music... I think of montages, I think of excellent music goes along with excellent movies. First couple movies I thought of right off the bat were Heavenly Kid, Ventures in Babysitting, The Wraith, all the movies I started off with. Now, by no means did this podcast mean to be a so-called 80s podcast. 
okay? I don't deny the fact that I like 80s movies. In fact, most of the shows I've done are 80s movies. But let's get something straight here. This show has pretty much taken on a life of its own, okay? When I started this show, all I wanted to do was do movies that I really enjoy and that I think are fun and that have kick-ass music. But all of a sudden, things started to change. The show basically took on a life of its own. I started to do one 80s movie, I did another, I was like, okay, I did three or four 80s movies that I think have awesome soundtracks, let's move on to something else. Next thing I know, I start getting reviews on iTunes about, oh, hey, this is great, he's reviewing 80s movies, shows that I haven't seen in a long time. I'm like, okay, let me pick another 80s movie that has good music. Well, next thing I know, I start pulling in new movies, and no one's downloading yet. Let me just make something clear here. After... I did a couple of counting of movies the past couple of days. I have 1,734 DVDs. Now let me just point out that I only have 412 80s movies. The rest of the, my movies come from 2005 through present. Okay, I don't deny the fact that I haven't seen any movie prior to 1950. Do I have any problem with any movie between 1950 and 1980? I do not have a problem whatsoever. Why have I not seen a movie prior to 1950? I just never got around to it. Okay, wasn't my thing. Do I have... Uh, a non-respect for films prior to 1950? Absolutely not. Would I watch movies prior to 1950? Now to say that I only love movies from the 80s is total crap. Let's take a look at some of my favorite movies. We have Batman Begins. We have Titanic. We have Armageddon. We have The Crow. We have Terminator 2. Okay, I absolutely love these movies. Now, I have every intention on reviewing new movies, okay? In fact, I was going to review Let Me In because I thought the movie was excellent. I was even going to talk about the foreign film. But I'm getting kind of pissed off with the perception that I that this podcast is dedicated to 1980, okay? All the 80s, all right? Just so you guys know... The 80s is not the greatest time period, okay? If I was listening to 80s music all day long, I'd shoot myself in the head. Same thing with movies. If I was to watch 80s movies all day long, I'd shoot myself in the head, okay? They're fun movies, but there's a lot of trash in the 80s. Same thing with the 90s. There's a lot of fun movies in the 90s, but there's a bunch of trash. My favorite movies have come from 2000 all the way to 2011, okay? I mean, you couldn't make The Crow back in the 80s. That movie is fantastic. And, by the way, Ty is actually going to come on, and we are going to review The Crow. So it's going to be good times. But we're waiting until the 18th, till the Blu-ray comes out. Again, The Crow, not from the 80s. So, Armageddon, okay? One of my all-time favorite movies. It's from a re- just a couple of years ago, okay? Titanic, a couple of years ago. All right? I actually like the new Star Wars. Those are all the prequels. Those are good. Not as great as the original, but I dig them, okay? I love special effects. You couldn't do The Day After Tomorrow in the 80s. You couldn't do 2012 in the 80s. You couldn't do Godzilla in the 80s, okay? The 80s is not my favorite time period, and I'm not limited to the 1980s and thinking that anything past it is crap, okay? I can't speak for the guest hosts that I've had on the show if they think the 80s is the greatest, but me personally, I don't think the 80s is the greatest. So let's just get that out of the way, okay? The movie I'm reviewing today is not from the 80s. It's from 1978, okay? This movie is still my favorite horror movie. And horror is one of my favorite genres in film. I watch horror movies all the time. I love B-movie horror movies. I love C-movie horror movies, okay? That's the kind of stuff that I like to watch. Now, don't get me wrong. If you have any requests to hear certain movies from the 80s and 90s, I have no problem reviewing those. I mean, my friend John has requested that I do Short Circuit 1 and 2 and Robocop just because those are some of his favorite films. I dig those films. Those films are really fun. But if I do those films, I'm caught in the stigma that Mike only does 80s movies because his movie, his favorite movie is from the 80s. His podcast is named after the 80s. So that automatically makes Mike an 80s. Okay? Again... I made a mistake on saying on Show Me the Winston that my favorite is, you know, the best movies came from the 80s and that the movies today have no heart. Well, you know what? I really wasn't thinking when I said that because, you know what? I was nervous being on the show because I love Jason and Dan. I love being on. I was so nervous being on the show. I really didn't know what to say, okay? But now that I've had time to sit and think about it and then hear people's concerns that this is a stigma that has been uh, thought of me and what... 
the perception that comes across. I just want to set the record straight, okay? So I'm just going to call it a day in my rant because you know what? I love doing this show. I have tons of fun. It's the thing I think of all week about what movie should I do next and what movie has awesome music and what kind of stuff can I talk about. But you know what? When I hear crap that I only love this or I only love that and when I know it's not true, it kind of pisses me off and annoys me. So you know what? I just want to throw this out there to people. That uh, that may know this or may not know this. To all my friends that know this and my friends that don't know this, okay? And uh, I hope I don't have to have another Monster Masoonist segment. Uh, if I ever have another one, it's not going to be about this. Since I've already talked about this topic, it's going to be about something else. But I just wanted to throw that out there. So let's end this crap. Let's let's have a good time. Let's talk some Laurie Stroh trilogy. And let's start off with... Uh, with the classic 1978 John Carpenter's film, Halloween. Halloween night. A small American town. Fifteen years ago. trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. It's totally charted. Just Sure, sure. The only reason she babysits is to have a little Halloween. Okay, come on out. Oh man, this is karma. This is what I get for doing my little rant. I gotta flip and record this sucker all over again. I flip and got halfway through my uh, review of this film, and then the stupid program crapped out of me, and now I gotta start all over again. But you know what? Who gives a crap? I'll just do it over again because you know what? This movie kicks ass. Okay, here's the deal, guys. I flip and love Halloween, okay? I've watched Halloween ever since I was five years old. I followed the series. I've watched every movie hundreds of times. I've dissected the series. I've bought the comic books. I mean, I just, I've, I just, I've always enjoyed Michael Myers. I mean, I totally dig Nightmare on Elm Street series and Friday the 13th series and Child's Play and Candyman and uh, Poltergeist and and all those horror series. But you know what? Halloween is always the one that I go back to because Michael Myers is the scariest because the dude is flipping the devil incarnate, the pure evil. I mean, this is the guy that uh, you just don't mess with, okay? Um, and the thing with 1978's Halloween, and obviously this is the oldest movie that I reviewed so far on the show, is it's simplistic. It's very simple. It's a very simple plot. 
uh, very simple characters, very simple villain, and the music is simple. Everything is simple, and that's why it's so effective. I mean, you stick, if you wanted to, you could stick a kid in front of this movie and they would just get it. They'd be scared out of their gourd and just get it. That's why this movie is so flippin' effective. It's because it's just so simple. Later on in the future, they start watering it down and adding crap and layers to it and just make things more complicated. And when you just make things simple, everybody can get it and everybody can enjoy it. So let's talk a couple of things. All right. So obviously I've mentioned before this is from 1978. Now this is the it was the most successful independent film of all time until that record was trashed by the Blair Witch Project. And the film was made on a small budget of 325,000 and it grossed 47 million at the box office. Now keep in mind this movie was not an overnight success. In fact, they pretty much bombed it. After like four weeks, they're like, ah, oh, screw it. John Carpenter went on vacation. He's like, I'm never, you know, I just lost my job, that kind of thing. Next thing you know, word of mouth started kicking around, kind of like with Jaws. It just started uh, going around and around and around. Next thing you know, the movie is a gigantic hit. And even critics dig this film. And, you know, they're just like, they haven't seen a good film since, uh, a good horror film since Psycho, which is 1960. So this film uh, has definitely set the formula. It set the rules, which are later uh, redefined with the Scream series. Now, I would love to say that this is a perfect film. Uh, you know, the thing is, I've seen this movie so many times. I've seen so many mistakes. Uh, even if you had never seen this film, there's one in there's one scene in particular that is so hard not to deny that it's a mistake. That it's so hard to make this rating a perfect rating. But uh, I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But this movie is still my all-time favorite horror movie because number one, the the music is simple. Uh, everything is simple now. Even John Carpenter said this, that if you watch the film with no music, it's not scary. The moment you put the music on, you're terrified. Just, you know, watch this film all by yourself, nighttime, you stick that music on, man, boy, you are freaking out. So let's talk about some excellent things with this film. Alright, so the movie basically starts off uh, after you see, after you hear the music kick in with the Halloween theme song, you get the jack-o'-lantern, which you're going to see in every film except for one, and after the jack-o'-lantern scene is over, you get the point of view of the killer, uh, which is pretty uh, not common at this point in time. And uh, of course you don't know it's a kid, you'll find that out later. But basically Michael Myers is walking up to his house, looks in the window, sees his sister and her boyfriend kissing and they're going to go upstairs and have sex. And let's just say this guy is, um, is from the wild wild west because this guy is super fast, okay? By the time they go upstairs, Michael Myers goes around the back, walks in the house, grabs a knife, which by the way... The knife is actually picked up by Deborah Hill, which was John Carpenter's girlfriend at the time. She's the one that's actually in the costume, and you, that's her hand. But they they do a camera fuzz fade effect where you can't actually see the focus of her hand. But by the time she grabs the knife, walks in the dining room, the dude's coming down the stairs, and you're like, okay, did they actually do anything? Yeah, they did, because when Michael Myers goes upstairs, sees his sister naked, you're like, okay, they did something. Now, here's the thing, as John Carpenter said, uh, when he's stabbing his sister, he actually turns away and looks at his hand doing the stabbing. It's kind of like Michael Myers puts on the mask, and uh, he's in evil form. And it's kind of like at that point, it's a subconscious saying, what am I doing? It's kind of the last bit of humanity had uh, left. So and the cool thing is, is with being such a small group of filmmakers, they're actually doing this all in one shot where they're moving all the lights around and the cameras and there's just this big ruckus going on. But uh, of course they added all that out. And you see Michael Myers go down the stairs, walks outside and his parents show up and take the mask off. And you're like, dude, the parents are just standing there not doing nothing. But you're kind of in the shock of, oh my gosh, that's a kid. At this point in time, they had never had a kid be a killer. So here's what I'm doing. I am talking the Halloween TV extended cut. Now, uh, you're probably saying, well, that's the TV version. It's got to suck. Nope. Because what happened is they took the theatrical version of this film and they added the TV scenes, put it into one film, and it's awesome. Now, here's the deal with the TV scenes. See, they were filming Halloween 2 at the time. 
And when Halloween was going to syndication to go on TV, by the time they did all the, the editing and the commercials, they, they needed nine more minutes of footage. And John Carpenter was like, okay, what am I going to do? So basically he got drunk one night. He's like, okay, I got to make this work. Okay, I know. I'll make Michael Myers and Lori brother and sister. So that's how these TV scenes came to play where he's trying to tie it up with part two. And... Um, Here's where the first TV scene comes into play. After the mask is taken off in a theatrical version, it just cuts to a rainy night, and you see you're introduced to Dr. Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance, uh, describing Michael Myers just being an it. Uh, you're kind of getting the impression that uh, not human. But the TV scene that's added is excellent because uh, we see Dr. Loomis, who's uh, in a hospital, kind of in an auditorium, all by himself with two guys. I kind of say they're the big honchos of the uh, of the doctors. He's basically trying to plead with them, and you hear Michael Myers' middle name, which is Michael Audrey Myers, something that you hadn't heard in the theatrical version. Just basically pleading with them that uh, he's not, you know, he's dangerous. Have you not read my notes? And they basically just ignore everything it says and tell him that if you need us to get him a new doctor we can do that he goes no i'll stay with them and that's when you see him walk to michael's room you see michael just sitting in a chair staring out a window uh, and he tells him how you uh you think you fooled him huh michael but you haven't fooled me then we get the uh the rainy night scene and i really dig that tv edition scene it's really really cool adds a little effect to it it's about a good two three minute scene but it really establishes dr loomis uh, versus when you see the theatrical version and it's a rainy night and they see all the prisoners break out. Because what Michael Myers does is he breaks the prisoners out of the hospital. So that's kind of his way to escape because Dr. Loomis will get out of the car, go to the gate. And that's when Michael Myers jumps on top of the car. Now, movie mistake here. Uh, what they do is is Michael Myers um, has this metal piece palm of his hand which is taped so when he goes to smash the window uh, the metal piece is what breaks the window and then he you know jumps in the car and takes off and they they kind of play with that how well how does michael myron know how to drive he's been you know institutionalized and they they definitely call that out when they're like well how did he know how to drive he's like i don't know maybe somebody gave him some lessons so basically um that scene you know it's kind of funny that uh, you see the little hand thing i mean you could definitely see that the first time you watch this film that movie mistake so michael myers takes off to head and fill now additional scene here um dr loomis goes back and it's daytime now goes back and they're trying to get all the prisoners and clean up all the mess that's when he goes to michael myers room and they close the door and it looks like it's almost written in blood it says sister he goes, I know where he's going. And that's when it'll cut to where in the theatrical version, um, Dr. Wynn, his boss, is trying to convince, you know, where's Michael Myers going to go? He goes, I tried to tell people, but they wouldn't listen. And that's when they call out about Michael Myers knowing how to drive. And he's like, I'm going to Haddonfield. And he takes off. So that little scene helps in regards to the sister because it's trying to tie a part two in uh, on how this is all going to work out. So, all right, so now we get to the introduction of Laurie Stroh, which is played by the ever so lovely Jamie Lee Curtis. Now, this is her first film, and uh, we see her basically uh, walking to school, and we meet her little friend Tommy Doyle, that's actually the guy that she's supposed to babysit uh, later that night, and how uh, her dad is a realtor. And what she's supposed to do is, is drop off the key to the Michael Myers house so people can look at it. That's when you get the first introduction of Michael Myers. Now, of course, you don't see him. Uh, when Laurie goes up to the house to drop off the key, Michael Myers, uh, back of his head shows, looking out the door. So when Laurie is on her way to school, again, you'll see uh, a back shot of Michael Myers. But the, where the coolness starts to come in is when she's in the classroom, she looks out the window. And you know this is Michael Myers because the same car that he stole earlier is sitting next to him, you know, sitting parked next to him. But this time he's got a, uh, like a gray jumpsuit on with his white mask, but it's a far distant shot. So you actually can't see what the mask looks like. So she looks the second time he's there, by the third time he's gone. Uh, really cool scene. And as she's leaving school, we get introduced to her two friends. 
which uh, her two friends are Annie Lewis or Annie Brackett, which is played by Nancy Loomis. Uh, her name now is Nancy Keys, but in the film credits it's Nancy Loomis. And we get uh, Linda, which is played by PJ Souls. And uh, now they they pretty much show you right off the bat that Annie's kind of the bad, you know, the real uh, kind of cool bad girl kind of person versus uh, Linda is kind of the girl that sleeps around. You know, she's the blonde that says totally. And now, of course, Anne has sex too. Lori is the virgin. But you can definitely tell that Linda is more of the sexual permissive girl versus Annie. And, uh... We get Michael Myers again because as they're walking down the street, which keep in mind, you see palm trees in the background. So uh, kind of funny. They, they didn't really cover that up too good, but that's okay. Uh, Michael Myers comes around the corner as they're walking. And this is where you make your first mistake. If you get in Michael Myers' way or you say something to piss him off, he's going to kill you. Okay? They play with, They start with this film and they play with that for the rest of the series. Unless you're Busta Rhymes, then you can get away with it. But we'll talk about that trash in later episodes. So uh, what happens is Michael Myers comes around the corner in his car. And Annie thinks she's being smart and says, Hey, jerk, speed kills. Michael Myers stops the car. She's like, geez, can't you take a joke? Michael Myers takes off. That's kind of the first... uh, Well, it's one of the main reasons why he kills Annie first. Because she said that pissed him off. So, the next scene is where um, Linda's going back to her house, and Annie's looking in her purse, and that's when Lori sees Michael Myers in front of her, uh, which he's sitting, uh, he's actually standing in front of a bush. Now, here's what's cool about this scene. Again, it's a mistake. In the background, uh, you see this guy standing on a porch, and then you also see John Carpenter's cigarette smoke uh, going across the camera, which is kind of funny. And at this point... Anne's not scared, goes to the bush and says, Lori, look, he's not there. So after Anne gets to her house and Lori continues to walk to her house, she runs into Anne's dad, which is Sheriff Brackett. He says one of the one of my favorite lines, he says, hey, it's Halloween. Everybody's entitled to one good scare. Because she runs into him, screams, real good, fun scene. So when Lori gets into her house, she sees Michael Myers again. She looks out her window. He's, he's standing there in the backyard. And she turns, looks again. He's not there. He kind of disappeared at, with the wind starts to freak out and uh this is where we get the new tv scene when um she's taking a shower and she comes downstairs because she's getting ready to babysit we hear a doorbell and it's actually uh linda who shows up and uh it's linda telling her that that guy's following me you know the guy in the station wagon so it's to kind of tell you that michael myers isn't just harassing Lori, he's also following uh linda around which is pretty cool and then they talk about how what's she gonna wear and and the blouse that she actually wears through the night is actually Lori's. So it's 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 kind of a cool scene. It just kind of em- emphasizes that Michael Myers is going uh, after all of them. So when Lori is getting picked up by Annie to go babysit him, uh, we get the fun wrong time frame scene. And what I mean by that is uh, Dr. Loomis, uh, before this, has showed up. Uh, he's at a payphone calling to the hospital saying he hasn't found them yet and he actually finds this um this mechanic who's dead which you realize later is how michael myers got the jumpsuit it's a mechanic jumpsuit so you can go along with that that's how he got his suit but supposedly this is how he got his mask when Lori and annie are driving around town uh and they're smoking weed um they hear this alarm going off at a hardware store and of course, with her dad being the sheriff, uh, they're like, "Oh no, you know my dad's there." You know, you know they start, they hide the weed, and uh, they show up, and the alarm just at that point shuts off when she's trying to talk to her dad, and she's like, "What happened?" He goes, "Oh, bunch of kids broke in, stole the mask, uh, rope, couple knives," and she goes, "You blame everything on kids." Now, here's the thing: this has happened a couple hours later. Lori's already seen Michael Myers drive in the car. She's seen him outside of school. She's seen him by the bushes. She's seen him in the backyard. So what they're trying to tell you is is that Michael Myers broke in the hardware store, got the mask, and this alarm, this super loud alarm, which is so loud that Annie has to scream at her dad, 
has been going off for a couple hours before the cops have ever been called and it never bothered anybody. That's what they're basically telling you. So it's almost like the scene should have came way before uh, something else. It doesn't flow right. That's a huge time error. But um, at the same time, and this is why I give the film this, they just say they just say mask, couple knives, which Michael Myers only has one knife. So it is possible that the same time that he got the mechanic suit, the guy also had a mask. I know it's a stretch. That's kind of what I convinced myself to go along with the film because I would assume with writing this tight, again, it's simple, but for all the rest of the movie, they don't make any other mistakes. For them to blow something like this and miss it, I don't buy it. I seriously think that they kind of figured no one would know how he got the mask, but he didn't necessarily got in the hardware store for it. I believe he broke in the hardware store to get the knives and the rope and stuff. That I believe. But I don't believe he broke in the hardware store and got the mask. And because if that was the case it would have happened it would have happened it would have had to have happened a long time ago. So that's basically my thoughts on the timeline scene. Okay. And uh, now this scene though they do screw up and I cannot I cannot go with this scene is basically where after they leave the hardware store um, that they're driving around and of course uh, in the corner when Dr. Loomis has actually showed up and wants to talk to Sheriff Bracken in the background in the wide shot you see Michael Myers car and Dr. Loomis never sees him so Michael Myers is essentially following the girls this uh, and he's actually been following the girls this whole time but he had parked earlier when the girls were going to talk to the sheriff but from point A to point B, it's basically they're driving to go babysit, and it goes from daytime, which you can tell the sun is clearly out, to all of a sudden it's nighttime. So you mean to tell me in a matter of five minutes, it went from completely light to completely dark? I don't buy it. Whatever. You just go along with it. But that's the one scene I'm just like, I can't give you that. So uh, then we get to where the real fun begins which is basically the stalking, where Michael Myers just basically sits in the shadows. And see, Michael Myers, he's basically an assassin, I like to say. He's kind of like a ninja. The dude flipping stays in the shadows. He watches his prey. This is the difference between Michael Myers and the rest of the dudes. The guy messes with you, okay? He doesn't just, you know, Jason shows up, he's right behind you, smack. You know, Michael Myers flipping, he will get everything situated, he'll take out power, he'll take out phone lines, you know, whatever the case may be, so that way he can get you in the right place at the right time, and if he wants to kill you at that moment of time, he will, or if he just wants to mess with you and stab you, he will. Michael Myers is one calculated dude, man. and that's one thing I always dug about him, is the dude was patient, I mean, here's the thing, you're going to flip and run, go ahead and run, because guess what, you're going to run out of energy, versus me walking, I'm going to catch up to your rear end. That's kind of how I always look at Michael Myers. The dude's a flipping assassin. Nothing's going to stop the dude. So the rest, I'm not going to go part by part, scene by scene, but the majority of the movie is spent. Michael Myers um, planning his kills, which keep in mind, this movie barely has any blood, um, barely has any, you know, the death scenes, there's like three, if that. There's uh, Lori, Annie, and uh, and his sister in the beginning, but he basically kills Annie because um, Annie's actually uh, watching Lindsay, uh, which is um, uh, Tommy Doyle's. He, Tommy Doyle, which is the guy that Lori is watching, he actually likes her, and she is forced to babysit her because her boyfriend basically can't go out. So when she gets a call from him that everything's cool and that she can come over, um, she is ready to dump Lindsay. And that's how Lori will eventually have both kids, where she has uh, Lindsay and Tommy. Now, we get a really cool scene where she accidentally spills butter on herself. So uh, Michael Myers messes around where he's throwing pots around and trying to scare her. We get some really cool window shots and door shots. Uh, where you see half of his mask, but it's only lit up in certain spots. Um, Michael Myers doesn't like dogs. A dog comes up to Michael Myers, the dog is dead. Okay, he, Michael Myers doesn't. If he, I don't know if he kills him, he'll eat some or what. But 
dogs need to run away from Michael Myers, you need to stay away, okay? Because uh, that's what happens. Uh, Lindsay's dog actually goes up to Michael Myers, and Michael Myers just takes the dog out. So when Annie is going to go see her boyfriend, uh, she goes to the car. The car is locked. She goes back in the house, and she when she goes back in the house to kind of do her hair and grab her keys and she's singing and she opens the door don't you realize that the door was just locked so of course the windows are all fogged and Michael Myers pops out of the back seat and he chokes her Michael Myers thing is to choke people okay it's kind of he's like you know what I'm gonna be a choke person I figured I'm just gonna choke him and she just wouldn't die so he eventually just used the knife and cut her throat it's kind of his thing so uh, Michael Myers takes her body and now, I really dig this scene because the kids are watching a scary movie and you see Tommy look out the window and he sees Michael Myers carrying her around the house. And uh, it, it's an excellent shot. There's so many great nighttime scenes, but the the lighting is amazing in this film. Absolutely excellent. And again, all suspense. The music is just playing constantly, real subtle creepy music as far as linda's death goes i mean basically it's this sex equals death okay when linda is having sex with her man michael myers is just kind of watching it and when her man gets done tries to go downstairs and get a beer that's when he gets real creative with himself and uh he chokes him because that's michael myers thing he likes to choke sticks him up on the wall and he's like you know what i'm just gonna take this big knife and i'm just gonna stab the dude and uh, one of the things he does is he just looks at him. It's like he's admiring his work. Turns his head to the left, turns his head to the right. Really dig that scene. Again, it's subtle, it's simplistic, very effective. So now we get this scene that technically could be hysterical, but it's actually scary. He comes, Michael Myers opens the door and he's wearing this ghost outfit, but he has Bob's glasses on. Now, you would think people would be laughing, but if you actually watch videos from 1978, because they did, they would record uh, people's, um, you know, reactions to stuff, and people would scream at this part. So, she says this real funny line about, uh, do you see anything you like? Well, they don't actually show her boobs right there, so it's kind of funny. Um, but it's basically, he won't talk to her, and she's like, did you get me my beer? And fine, you're being all weird. And that's when she's like, you know what, I'm just going to call, I'm going to call Lori. So by the time he, um, when she's calling Lori, that's when Michael Myers walks in. You get the real creepy music. And he takes the phone cord, wraps around her neck, and strangles her to death. He's finally killed somebody by choking them. But he kind of had to use another weapon for that. So the rest of the movie is probably spent the last half hour of uh, real creepy music and Lori checking on the kids making sure they're asleep because she's going to go next door because she knows something's up because she got the phone call she saw the lights on the lights went off so she knows something's up and this scene can kind of be boring for certain people of Lori locking up the house and slowly walking across the street it takes its time again it's very simple and uh, I think for the for the newer generation, this scene would bore them to death. They'd probably want to go to sleep because all it is is just Lori walking across the street, but it's very slow. I mean, it's like she's walking like a turtle, but it works just because of the way everything's shot and the music. And uh, when she finally goes upstairs and sees Annie is actually dead, laying in bed because Michael Myers actually took his sister's grave, uh, her tombstone, and uh, and put it in the bed. So Laura, uh, so Annie is actually laying in front of her tombstone. She turns around, and that's when she sees uh, Linda is uh, is laying there in a the closet. And this is where the rope comes in that Michael Myers stole from the hardware store because um, this is where her boyfriend will then come, um, kind of by feet first, kind of swing down. So this is my favorite shot of the film where Lori's freaking out and she backs up and she backs into a corner. And when she backs into the corner, the music comes on, real creepy music, and the camera light slow. It's like a blue, like a very light blue color 
starts to illuminate his face. And this is the first time, well, I can't say it's the first time, um, because earlier when Michael, after he strangles Linda, he picks up the phone and they actually, for the first time, do a full um, Michael Myers mask face in the camera. But this scene is awesome because, again, where the camera slowly lights up his face and he starts to walk out of the corner. And this is where he stabs Lori. Now, here's the thing. Michael Myers could have easily stabbed her in the back and killed her. No, Michael Myers wants to mess with you. So what does he do? He slices down her arm. And, of course, she's on a second floor. So she falls off the balcony and she falls on the stairs, which you'll find out later she cracks the bone in part two. And we get the real excellent chase scene of basically Laurie trying to get away from Michael. This scene must last for 15 minutes. It's flipping amazing. It's Laurie running and screaming, asking for help, and people turn on the lights and then shut it off because they're douchebags. And Laurie just runs across the street, realizes the keys are no longer there because they fell out of her pocket when she fell down the stairs. And she's trying to tell the kids to... Uh, Tommy come down the stairs and lock the door and meantime Michael Myers is slowly walking across the street and by the time she gets in the house closes the door guess what Michael Myers has miraculously gone to the side window and opened the window and came in the house of course you don't see this but this is what's implemented because the dude's flipping evil the dude can do anything basically I mean the supernatural element of Halloween has definitely been there from the beginning I don't care what they say so uh, this is where I give Lori the... I can give her this, where basically uh, Michael Myers pops up from behind the couch and Lori stabs him with a crochet needle and uh, she takes his knife that he dropped and she looks over the couch. He's dead. She drops the knife. I give her that because you're a normal person. You just killed somebody. You're going to drop the weapon, okay? When you go upstairs... And you tell the kids that everything is going to be okay. And the first thing they say is you can't kill the boogeyman. And the dude's behind you. Next time you don't want to drop the weapon. Again, scene is awesome. The lighting is amazing. Uh, where she tells the kids to go in the closet. And uh, Michael Myers slowly walks into the room. And that's when Lori hides into a closet. And she takes a little hanger. Wraps around the closet. Michael Myers tries to open it. And then the dude's flipping, messing with her. Because he can easily bust this thing apart. What does he do? He just starts to shake it. Just so he can get a rattle out of her. And probably to make sure she's in there. And, of course, he does the smart thing. Which he starts busting up the closet. And we get this really cool... Going, again, the music is amazing here. And Lori actually takes a hanger. Because she's a smart girl. Unwinds it. Stabs the dude in the neck. What happens? The dude falls. And what does she do? She drops the weapon. Okay? Should have took the knife and killed the dude. You know, like stabbed him or something. Nope, she doesn't do that. So she tells the kids to basically, everything's cool. Get out of the house. Call the cops. That's what she's telling them to do. So when she tells them to basically go, call the cops. Um, and I didn't mention this, but Dr. Loomis is basically, this whole time been looking for Michael Myers and he is the reason why he is the shining light of this movie is because he is the one that explains how Michael Myers is pure evil how um, he has the blackest eyes the devil's eyes and he's really the the voice that tells you how evil Michael Myers is you don't actually have to see it like Rob Zombie has this horrible habit of going too far you know versus John Carpenter does everything subtly. You know, he uses Donald Pleasant's words to tell you how evil Michael Myers is. So by the time Michael Myers starts attacking folks, you're, you get it. You're like, dude's pure evil. You know, you totally get it. So basically, when Loomis has finally found the kids because they come running out of the house screaming, Michael Myers wakes up once again from the floor and he starts to choke Lori. Because again, that's his thing. He likes to choke people. So while he's choking her, Lori gets this idea to take off his mask. Now, you would think he would have this horrible face kind of thing. But the guy that's playing him is a stuntman, which is Nick Castle. Which he went on to make this... Uh, he directed this film called The Boy Who Could Fly. Really good movie. Um, 
but it's really hard to find. But I'll talk about that on another podcast. But the thing is, is uh, John Carpenter hired this guy who was supposed to have like a angelic face, so to speak. So you're not expecting when you see his face isn't all messed up. I mean, it's messed up because the dude just had a flipping, um, you know, thing through his eye. So that's why it's all messed up. But for the most part, his face is just, you're like, oh, okay, he looks fine. So, again, Michael Myers has to have a mask on because he can't be Michael Myers without his mask. It's kind of like this. I think his his evil power is almost like once he puts the mask on, the full-blown evil, the devil incarnate, evil never dies, that force is when he has the mask on. Take the mask off. It's like he's almost weak to a point. So... Uh, so once he puts the mask on, dude gets shot right in the head, okay? Um, well, they want you to think he gets shot in the head. So Dr. Loomis um, shoots him, and he eventually goes out the window, and we get the really cool line of Laurie saying, was that the boogeyman? He says, as a matter of fact, it was. Now, here's the cool thing. Um, Donald Pleasant says, I can do this two ways. I can look out the window and say, oh, my God, he's gone. Or I could say I knew this would happen. John Carpenter says, do it both ways. And that's what happens. Loomis looks out the looks over the balcony, Michael Myers is gone. His first look is, oh my god, he's gone. And then he gets the look of like I knew this would happen. And then we kind of see Michael Myers breathing. Well, you don't see him breathing, you hear him breathing, but you see all the spots that Michael Myers was throughout the night. It's basically to represent all the places that he was and that to let you know that no matter where you are, that he's out there. So basically, when you're leaving the theater, I mean, I remember my friend telling me, um, I mean, he's he's an older friend because he was actually, he saw this movie in the theater. Uh, but he was telling me how when he left the theater and he's walking down an alley, he was so freaked out because he thought Michael Myers was there. I mean, everybody would say how they're so afraid that because Michael Myers is still out there. So they never intended to make a sequel to this. It was supposed to be a standalone film. It's just supposed to be that evil never dies and he's out there and you could be next because, you know, it happened to her, it can happen to you. So if you cut out the whole series and you just had this without the additional cuts it would not be any Michael and and Laurie or brother and sister it would just be a guy who was out there stalking babysitters and he never dies you know but once you start adding the family element into it it kind of waters it down a little bit but again they made a sequel here's my thoughts um, and the same as John Carpenter's they were forced to make a sequel and they came up with the best story they could and the plan was is that Michael Myers' story is told and done in two movies. After that, we're going Twilight Zone style, and we're going to make a series of films that are non-Michael Myers related. So, um, and I'm not going to talk part two, because that's going to be the next podcast. And I'll get into further discussion on, um, on John Carpenter's thoughts there, and how it affected the rest of the series. But just keep in mind that this movie was supposed to be a standalone film, and never have a sequel. Because back in those days... There was really no such thing as sequels or they weren't they weren't very popular. So that is basically my review of this film. Now, uh, rating-wise, okay. It's kind of funny that I gave Armageddon five stars. And, you know, I, I re-listened to that list, uh, the top the top 11 favorite Masoonist films, because it was like, it's like my second most downloaded thing. And one thing, I'm, here's the thing, man. A podcast is very therapeutic. It really makes you think how you feel about things. Because when I first reviewed all this stuff, I said, oh, none of these movies are five-star films, but yet I flip and gave um, Armageddon five stars. I, I never said The Crow is five stars, which, by the way, just a heads up, when me and Ty talk, I give The, the Crow five stars, and I'm sure he will too. I'm not 100% sure, but I think he loves The Crow just as much as I do, okay? Um, the movies on my list, Titanic, five stars, okay? Um, the Crow, five stars, okay? I don't, Batman Begins, five stars. I have no idea why I said that stupid line of, none of these movies are five-star films. And I'm like, okay, I gave Armageddon five stars. Now, 
most people are definitely going to disagree with me on that because they're like, how could you possibly give a Michael Bay film five stars? But again, as I said, I had so much fun with it. It was I was so emotionally invested in the film and I didn't find any plot holes. I didn't find any mistakes. I totally fell in love with it. Now, Halloween, I've pointed out some of the mistakes. But here's the thing. Here's Here's my dilemma. Can I give a film that I know has flaws a perfect rating? And... I kind of am going to do this. I'm kind of going to cheat. I'm going to give this movie a 4.99, okay? Um, because of the fact of those little tiny mistakes don't kill the fact of how amazing the overall movie is, how it was made so well for so cheap, how iconic the film is, how it created the slasher film, how it created the rules, how iconic Michael Myers is. Um, there's so many excellent things about this film that I can't give the film like less than four and a half stars. And I want to give it a perfect rating, but at the same time, I know those flaws. So I'm going to give this movie its own rating of 4.99. Because you know what? I can do that. I can cheat. It's my podcast, okay? Uh, but... The movie's amazing. Let me talk about The Mask. I am very, very, very critical of The Masks, okay? Here's the thing. The first mask is obviously the best. It's amazing. The second mask is supposedly the exact same mask as part one, but the hair is more combed back. When you get to Halloween 4, the mask is atrocious, but yet the poster is the mask from part one. In every movie, the mask changes. And I will talk about that in further detail. But let's just say, the mask, I know I haven't talked about it, but, I mean, if you didn't know already, it's iconic. There is two choices. Um, Tommy Lee Wallace, who actually directed Halloween 3, he was supposed to go to uh, pick out a mask. He found a clown mask, which is real scary. Then he found a William Shatner mask. What he did is he cut the eyes out more, uh, spray-painted it white, came out and the reason why they chose the Michael Myers mask is number one it's uh, very uh, blank and, um, and when you can't see the eyes you're just like man it's like the devil's eyes man so the the first mask is a 10 out of 10 I'm going to rate each mask by the way 10 out of 10 hands down this mask is amazing creepy and if you if you can find one you are one lucky individual so excellent excellent mask excellent movie 4.99 that's what I give my rating and uh, let's go ahead and get into some email alright as I said I actually have email uh, if you want to email in the show go ahead and send that to sweepdelaypodcastyahoo.com and uh, you know you're still time because I'm going to be you, we can talk about this one or we can talk about Halloween too and I actually got two emails one is from uh, they're both from Sebastian from New Market Canada I'm only going to read the first one he sent me because the newest one is more about part two than part one so here we go it said, uh, Hi, Michael. This is Sebastian from Newmarket, Canada. I saw this classic five years ago, and I really enjoyed it for its superb suspense and thrills. The camera angles used to set it from Michael's point of view is rather exceptional. Uh, the casting also is on a really good side. Compared to the remake, it's equal on casting. Donald Pleasance is good, but McDowell does a slightly better job than Loom. Curtis is better as Laurie than the new one. Brad Durf is better as the chief than in the original. Overall, I give Halloween a solid 4.75 stars. All right. Now, I know I haven't talked about Halloween uh, 2007, Rob Zombie. I know I talked about it in my worst movies um, list. Here's the thing. I've had a chance to revisit the film. And uh, has my thoughts changed on the film? I'm going to admit this. There's a couple of things that I like about the film, but for the most part, I totally don't like the film, okay? Uh, I originally said that uh, I can't stand Loomis in this film, played by Malcolm McDowell. Here's the thing. You know, being so used to Donald Pleasance, I didn't want to give Malcolm McDowell a chance, uh, have him take the character, make it his own. And, you know, I actually gave him that chance, and uh, I dig it. You know, I thought he did a good job making it his own. I love Michael Myers, the way he looks. I mean, the dude is flipping like seven foot one. The mask is the best looking mask out of all of the movies. 
except part one. I mean, part one is obviously the best, but this mask is excellent because it looks exactly like the John Carpenter mask, except it's aged with cracks in it. Looks flipping amazing. The look of Michael Myers is flipping amazing. I love it. I give that part. Uh, Rob Zombie did an excellent job. Um, the whole prequel thing, again, uh, as I said before, the dude goes too far, okay? We didn't need to see Michael Myers bash a dude's head in and you be seeing the victim's point of view in the leaves getting his head bashed in. I mean, you could just... John Carpenter didn't show you that much. It was all your mind does more graphics than what you see on screen, and he just took everything too far. Um, it, it was just ridiculous. And the second half is kind of like the greatest hits. It's basically um, I don't know what thirty minutes of of the uh, of the classic, and then a different ending. Uh, I couldn't stand Lori. Uh, Daniel Harris was amazing. I totally dug her. Uh, she definitely played Annie. Cool. I did like Sheriff Brackett, but I like the Sheriff Brackett, uh, Sheriff Brackett better in the original. Um, I would definitely say uh, it's. I think I gave it two stars, and my rating hasn't changed. And two stars is mostly for. I well, pretty much Michael Myers the way he looks. Every scene he's in is flipping amazing. I, I dig it. Everything else is just kind of like it's a part. Daniel Harrison's good times. Malcolm McDowell's good times. But I just didn't dig um, how, oh, well, Michael Myers is raised in a trailer trash home and uh, in a comfortable situation. And that's why he snapped. And it's like, no, just the dude, you just make it simple. Don't give him backstory, you know, whatever. So, yeah, you know, if you want to hear my thoughts on that, just check out that episode. But. I would just say after revisiting it, I do like um, the visual style. Like the colors look good. Um, the the sound effects are really good. Again, he looks amazing. Um, the I love the scene where he's walking down the street and you see him like going in between the tree. Like as Laurie's walking, you see Michael in the background going between the trees and stuff. That looks awesome. Uh, you know, just like when he's going to kill the parents, they could have just shut the door. You know, and not showed you it and then showed you the aftermath. But no, Rob Zombie has to show you everything. It's like the dude takes things way too far. And that's what he did with the movie. He took it way too far. I wanted to like the movie because I love the original. It's still my favorite horror movie. But I just can't like it better than the classic because it just went way too far. So that's my thought on that. In regards to Halloween 2, as I said, was my number one worst film of all time. Uh, I'll talk about that on the next episode when I talk some Halloween too. So that is basically it. That's a wrap for uh, for Halloween. Um, so overall, guys, uh, if you have any thoughts uh, on this movie, I want to hear them. As I said, go ahead and send it in SoupDelayPodcast.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's STL Podcast on Twitter. Um, and uh, feel free to leave me an iTunes review. I really appreciate those. Those definitely help the show out a lot and uh let's go ahead and get into the uh the music spotlight all right so here's what we're doing for the music spotlight since we're talking remakes here because i just talked about the remake of part one i'm going to talk some remake music because you know what i'm going old school on this song but here's the thing it's a remake of an old school song remade by the same artist but redone for uh 2009 uh, here's what happens, okay? And before you shut this off, you need to hear me out, okay? And you need to check this out because it's flipping awesome. Um, you know, I'm, I'm listening to iTunes, and I'm going to admit it, okay? Um, if you didn't know me, being from Chicago, you know, hanging out in the hood, as I like to call it. You know, I was on the killer side of Chicago, the south side. You know, my rap music was some um, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, N.W.A., Tupac, you know the crazy rap stuff but i also dug the soft stuff like crisscross and um you know I, I had total total fun you know run dmc you know aerosmith run dmc that was my rap you know and that's the thing i love rap i never dug you know i always like rock and i but rap was my thing but i never liked rock and roll like you know like the hard rock stuff but uh when i heard rock and rap put together man i flipped and fell in love but i'll tell you man you cannot doubt for one second 
that you do not like the song Ice Ice Baby, okay? You can lie to yourself, you can lie to your friends and say you don't like that song, but you know whenever it comes on, you flip and sing along, and you know every lyric to that song. So here's the thing. Vanilla Ice is my boy. Because you know what? The dude reinvented himself. He basically told the music world to screw yourself and I'm going to make music the way I want to. You know what he did? The man went underground and he started going heavy metal. And after he went heavy metal, then he did half rock, half rap. And he would uh, he actually remade Ice Ice Baby. But before he did that, on his heavy metal album, he made a song called Too Cold. So here's the thing. I'm going to play you Ice Ice Baby. But it ain't the one that you know of. It's the remake. 2007 version where he's definitely more energized the the background is different and then after that stick around because if you want to hear the heavy metal version of this song it's going to be on right after that so you know what sit back relax and enjoy some vanilla ice because you suckers know that you like vanilla ice and you just don't want to admit it because you know what i admit it all right i got vanilla ice i got some backstreet boys up in my playlist i got some instinct christina aguilera britney spears all right i dig the pop stuff all right and don't be saying that i play pop stuff on this podcast because you guys know i only play rock and roll and all the good stuff okay but you want you guys are going to sit back and you're going to listen to some good quality rap music from my boy vanilla rob van winkle ice okay and when i hit some ninja turtles which i am going to do the ninja turtles series okay I'm going to be playing some Ninja Rap, and you're going to hear the remake version of Ninja Rap 2. So that's it, guys. Check it out. This is Ice Ice Baby, remixed, rebooted, remade. And uh, catch you guys later. Make sure you check out the new episode coming to you later this week, uh, Halloween 2. So this is Masunis out. You guys take care. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with a brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly. Flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights, huh? And I'll glow. To the extreme, I rock a mic like a vandal. Light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle. Dance. Rush a speaker that booms. Killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom. Deadly. When I play a dope melody, anything less than the best is a felony. Love it or leave it. You better gain weight. Better hit the bullseye. The kid don't play. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. So I continue to A1A
to your mother. And if there was a problem, you know that I would solve it Check out the hook for my DJ will 